All right, fellow marketers, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by themarketinghelp.co, your number one resource for proactively advancing your marketing career. Okay, so here we go. Another great Marketing Career Moments episode. And these are the episodes where we dig in uh, to a specific career path, a day in the life, uh, any valuable tips along the way from marketers in various roles and responsibilities. Today's guest is Jen Gubin. Now, Jen is Director of Social Strategy and Enablement at Octopost. Octopost is a leading B2B social media management platform. She'll give some more insights into what makes them special. Now, Jen's got a ton of great tips to share. Her career path is very interesting. It it goes from getting an MBA in counterterrorism to now leading social strategy at a B2B software company. So definitely some interesting steps along uh, her career path. So a lot of great tips in this episode. Great episode if you're interested in social media a path in social media or tech or software. Uh, Jen's got some great tips for you. So make sure to check out those show notes. Uh, Lots of great resources that Jen shares. Plus, we have some great resources for your marketing career. All right, let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Jen Gutman from Octopost. Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast, brought to you by the marketinghelp.co. I am here with Jen Gutman. Jen, welcome to the episode. Eric, thanks for having me. Yes, um, great to have this discussion. Uh, and I know that that I've been on your episode or your <laughs> podcast. You're now on my podcast. This is great. <laughs> um, but you know, this is a career moments episode, and we'd like to get into the the details of specific marketing roles, and we'd like to hear from those experts. You know, share some insights, tips on you know, what it is that we need to know if we're looking Mm -hmm. to get into that as a career. But, you know, let's just start by going through your career path. And that's something that, you know, there's there's a couple options that exist for marketers. But when I look at your background, it's interesting because I'm I'm curious (laughs) to hear how you went from, I guess it was like customer service, account management, product service, sales. And here you are head of social strategy for a social media tool. So, Take us through uh, as far back as you want to go and, and walk us through how you ended up from uh, the beginning to, to now working at Octopost. Sure. So I think I'm, I'm about to blow your mind even more, Eric, um, with the career path. So I think the first thing that I'll say is that I couldn't be more happy doing what I'm doing right now today at Octopost, which is a B2B social media management company. Um, and I focus, as you said, on social strategy and enablement. I'll get into that in a moment. But where I began my career... I would say it's a bit unconventional as a marketer. Um, So even though I started my educational journey at Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, focusing on media and communication, which I think is a perfect major um, for anyone who's looking to go into marketing, business, uh, social media, I think what's really fascinating is that, and dare I say this, but when I was in college, um, Facebook was just starting out. Um, so it really wasn't even a thing yet. It was only for college students. And so fast forward to where I am today and what I studied in college, social media wasn't even part of the curriculum. So I think that's always fascinating for me to look back at. Um, so I graduated with a degree in media and communication. Um, and I went on, on actually my first job out of college was working in a nonprofit organization, but I was doing a lot of public speaking and I was working, um, teaching in different, uh, universities, different types of curriculum, giving presentations. And again, all of these types of skills, I think built up to, to being a part of a, vibrant marketing team. And so again, it's not like I graduated and went right into a marketing role or into a profit um, building company. I I was in nonprofit. And then from there, actually, and this is where things get really not conventional. um, I actually got my master's degree in um, counterterrorism and homeland security. And I'll, I'll, (laughs) so, right. So it's like, Okay, so how did I get from media and communication to counterterrorism? And what was fascinating for me at the time is I actually wanted to be a journalist. Okay. And that's really why I was studying media and communication. And I was documentary filmmaking and the ethics of film and media. And fast forward to really when I understood that journalists 
don't make as much money when they're starting out. Um, I started to shift my career path, but when I, when I did get my master's, um, in Israel and counterterrorism, my, my thought was, oh, if I get this master's in counterterrorism, I'll be an expert in extremism and I'll be able to write about it and I'll be a famous journalist. Um, again, media was always changing. Um, the way, right, we look at today and most of us get our news from, you know, Facebook, from social media itself. So the, the role of where we even get our news from has evolved so much. Um, so I kind of put the journalist thing to the side and that's where I actually got my first sales job. And there's always this joke, right? Like if you don't make it in what you want to do, you go into sales, right? But I have to say, um, it was... I don't think it was a fallback. It was actually, when you look at a sales role, um, it's a very educational role. So my background, being able to write curriculums and tell a story in a way that people can understand and break it down. Like I was in the tech world, so I was selling technology. Um, and I think oftentimes, so at the time I was at Live Person, which was um at the time in 2011, it was like a chat, um, messaging chat on your website, which was like the biggest, coolest yeah. thing ever. And now people are like, chat on a website? That's so boring. Who, who does that? Like, that's so standard. Um, but again, that was really the doors that opened for me in the tech world. It was um, an exciting time. At the time, it was a, a larger startup. It was um, part of a team and learning the ropes of how to sell. And I think that having that background in the non-traditional nonprofit curriculum building um, and sto brand store, like I guess at that time in storytelling in the degree, I became really good at sales. Like, and, and, and I know people have a, oftentimes a connotation of a salesperson, like, Oh, don't cold call me. Don't bother me. Right. But I really think the role of the salesperson has changed. And then fast forward to where I am today, right? So I went from sales um, and I've been in sales for a very long time, customer success, account management, and, and both on the farmer side and the hunter side. For, so for those listening, um, I think a good note about kind of farmers and hunters and what does that mean in terms of sales and marketing. So a hunter in in an organization, if you will, and a sales organization or a revenue growing organization is somebody who goes out and basically um, finds the money um, and closes the deals. And they're the ones who are very proactive about, okay, let's get this, let's close this. And a, and a farmer is, are often described as the people who are your customer success managers or your customer support teams or your customer experience teams who are really growing accounts or growing the experience. And so what I found myself constantly playing with is where do I fit? Am I a hunter? or am I a farmer? Am I a hunter? Am I a farmer? So it was kind of going back and forth between, okay, I'm a great customer success manager, account manager, and I'm a great salesperson. But then what I started to learn as I started to sell to different organizations is that in every organization, um, these roles are often defined differently and it's very unique to the company. So some companies will call customer success account management, and it's more of a revenue holding role where you have a quota and you have to hit numbers and grow the accounts uh, in that way. And some, it's more of community management where you're helping customers through a funnel. But well, the hope, of course, is that they stay with you in longevity. Um, it's not necessarily so sales oriented. So when you're starting to look for a job, for example, or you're thinking about where you want to fit, I would take out a piece of paper and start asking yourself, am I more of a hunter or am I more of a farmer? Do I want to grow accounts and cultivate them and, and watch them grow alongside the customer? Do I want to go out and, and kind of hunt, if you will, um, and bring in new accounts? And I think that's an, an, a good question to ask yourself um, when you're heading into deciding where you want to go. And then from that moment, um, I was in sales and I was, uh, truth be told, I got pregnant. <laughs> I'm married, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and, and then from there I was like, okay, I've been in sales for about 10 years and I love it. Um, what's next? And I had a discussion with my boss, my CEO, um, at Octopus and we kind of said, wait, okay, you've done sales. And for many of you listening, um, you may have heard that there is oftentimes kind of this, um, disalignment between sales and marketing teams because a lot of times marketers will sit there um, and say, well, what the heck are salespeople doing all day? I've written all this great content that explains exactly what we do and how things are done. And it sounds so beautiful and sales aren't following it or say, I'm getting all these amazing leads for the sales team, 
and they're not closing. And then on the, the flip side, you have the salespeople, and I'm guilty that I used to be one of them thinking this, thinking like, what what are marketers doing all day? Like, <laughs> are they like literally sitting in la-la land? Have they ever even talked to a customer? Do they not hear what the customer needs? Like, this is nuts. And now that I'm on the marketing side, I think it's brought great value um, to have sat in the sales seat for 10 years before heading into marketing because I don't no longer make fun of uh, marketers sure. <laughs> um, for just sitting there and doing nothing because actually what we do is, I mean, it's incredible and it's quite stressful and fun all in one depending how you look at it. Um, but I also think what comes along with it is being able to really align with marketing and sales coming together once you've sit, sat in that seat. So I don't think it matters if you're sitting in sales and you move over to marketing, or maybe you're sitting in marketing and you're thinking, hey, maybe I'll give sales a go. But I do think it is important for both sides to come to the same strategy table and be able to have that empathy for one another in each other's shoes, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And this is fascinating <laughs> background. You did blow my mind because... <laughs> As soon as you said you were getting your MBA and that, I was thinking about that that show Homeland and kind of yeah. all that, that goes with that. But, well, what's, uh, <laughs> what's great is like in that degree, I think what made me a great salesperson and for any of, if anyone is listening who I've ever sold to, um, I apologize in advance, but some of the techniques that I've learned in counterterrorism school actually apply to selling, which is amazing yep. um, in yep. negotiations and things like that. Not maybe to the extreme of like waterboarding, but, um, you know, <laughs> we'll save that for another podcast. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, uh, hunting farming, I think, is a great way to look at it. And that's a great tip because different types of personalities will thrive in either environment. But how well do you know yourself in terms of uh, being the hunter, being the farmer? That's the first thought. Uh, I remember interviewing with Amazon at one point in my career. And the question they asked me was, tell me who you are. Are you a, in so many words, hunter or farmer? And the answer I gave was the wrong answer. So that didn't go well. Um, <laughs> I was being true to myself. Are, yeah. Yeah, being true to myself. Like I'm more of a farmer, not a hunter. Um, so, so that's a great way to look at it. I think any marketer, any successful marketer has to have time in a sales role. And that's it, to your point, like that could be selling lemonade stand when you're 11, that could be a, a newspaper yeah. route way back when, or in a, an effective sales position. Currently, I've got so many inbound messages in LinkedIn from people that are in sales that are saying, I want to get into marketing. And I think what you just said is a great testament to there is a path for those that are, you know, have gone the sales route, because good, the good news is, don't worry about being, not knowing social media, not knowing how to do paid search. Be thankful that you know how to be a hunter or a farmer in account executive roles, um, you know, customer success roles, client partner roles, all those things exist for those that are trying to go from sales into marketing. So those were some things I had, you know, thinking about when listening to your background. So let's look at Octopost. Um, sure. you've been there six years. -ish, yeah, I love right? Six. So, yeah. Six -ish years. Yeah. <laughs> after five years, it's just, you know, you forget, you forget what time, you know, how long you've been there, but you know, what's, what was the path? I mean, you started in sales in Octopost, but mm -hmm. I guess the question is what, what has kept you in Octopost for, for six years? Because again, working somewhere longer than two years is, yeah. uh, you know, a surprise for many. So, What's been the secret to stay there six years? Sure. So I actually started in a customer. I was the first customer success manager at Octopost. Octopost is, um, it's, it's a startup. It's based out of the startup nation in, in Tel Aviv. And uh, they hired me while I was in America over Skype, right? It's so a Skype. We don't even use that anymore. It's like, <laughs> what is that? Right. Um, but I was hired over Skype and I was so excited to be part of a startup and I think for me, so six years for a startup even, and six years for a company, it is a really long time today. And there are times that I think like, wait a minute, what am I, what am I still doing here? But I'll share that actually after my first year as a customer success manager, it was one year and one month. And when you work for a startup, you wear many hats. 
And I think that's the most fantastic thing about working for a startup. Um, but I have to say that my dad growing up has had a huge influence on me and he was always in, um, marketing, VP marketing, um, at Johnson and Johnson or Kodak and these much larger organizations. So for him to have a daughter who suddenly goes from live person to a startup in Tel Aviv, I mean, he was a little concerned, um, you know, about the, the, um, like, is this company going to last? <laughs> what have you been drinking? Where is your, like, you went to a great college and you have a master's. What are you doing at a startup? And so about after a year, I, I like panicked and I was like, you know what? Maybe startups not for me because I want to be doing customer success. And like, I was obsessed with this idea of customer experience and customer journeys. And I loved the fact that you could be working for Octopus, but like part of the company that you're working with and knowing their strategy inside and out. Um, and so from there, I actually left and I was recruited back to live person. And this is a story I'm not, I'm not ashamed to share because I think what's interesting today. Um, so I left and my CEO was, was, I don't think he was surprised because mm. at that time I was the fifth employee. Um, and, and I'll just share things. I was the only employee, um, I'm sorry, I was the only female employee. Um, there was so much going on and APIs were changing at, at the time. Um, the LinkedIn API. So something to know, this is actually like the word API I think is important and, yeah. um, to kind of break down, one of the biggest fears, I think, when you're working for a technology company and something to think about is that you could have the greatest technology in the world, but if your technology depends on, so for example, another piece of technology's API. So for Octopost, we're a social media management platform and everything that we're able to do in our platform, it's designed by, by our developers and our VP product, but it's also very dependent on what Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram are allowing third-party platforms like ourselves to do on their platform. And there's many reasons uh, why they control this, which makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, but at the time when I left Octopost after um, a year and one month, um, the story ends well, right? I'm still here. But the, <laughs> I left after a year and one month because LinkedIn had shut down their LinkedIn groups, um, right. access to yeah. third-party platforms. And are, at the time... Our entire startup idea was that we are the only platform that can publish into LinkedIn groups. That was our our main value proposition. Right. Right. I panicked. I was a little nervous. I thought, oh my gosh, my dad is right. <laughs> you know, like, this is not a stable company. Um, I missed being in a larger company. And I think this is also something to think about as you're breaking out into your career and it, it's all about knowing yourself mm -hmm. but where you fit if you if you start off in a larger organization your network is quite large and you grow and you learn and there's you know there's different paths but also when you start off in a, in a, a smaller company um you learn in different ways and and maybe your network to begin with will be a little bit smaller but you have more experience um, leading things that maybe you wouldn't have that experience in a larger company. So I was very conflicted in where I saw my career growing. I left back to live person um, and I was there doing account management. And about four or five months later, I emailed my CEO, my head completely down. And the, the subject of the, the email was the grass wasn't greener. Oh, And, and I just, you know, in my most professional way, came back with my head down saying, listen, I've learned about myself. I miss startup. Mm. And I think this goes back to your original question of why am I still at Octopus? So now we're a team of 30. We're still not gigantic, but we're mighty. And I love the excitement of being able to work in a smaller company um, in a startup experience, watching us grow, watching the product change, having to make decisions, being able to have responsibilities that perhaps someone at my age or with my skill set wouldn't necessarily have in a larger company. I never feel like I'm a cog in a wheel. I always feel like I'm a vital piece of the company. Um, and I think being one of the first members of Octopost, I'm excited to see where we go. Maybe we'll get bought. Maybe we won't, you know, but I want to be a part of that magic. I want to have on my LinkedIn profile, you know, Jen Gutman worked at Octopus, parentheses acquired by yeah, yeah. who knows who. Who knows um, right. But I think why I share that story is that, again, it's all about knowing who you are 
and and where you're going to thrive and and knowing yourself and not being afraid of it. And also I think it's about being able to to say you've made maybe a mistake or or own um when maybe you were wrong or you, you take that risk i guess it's in also coming back because right daniel didn't have to say our, our ceo he didn't have to say yeah you know come back um but he did and he gave me a, a second chance <laughs> he gave me a first chance and he gave me a second chance um and and both times i nailed it but i think what i had learned and i had um really solidified for myself that my personality, who I am as Jen, is someone who's going to thrive in a startup environment, and I'm happy to do it. And I needed to get corporate out of my system. <laughs> that, I hope that helps somebody in, in yeah. something. <laughs> so what is it at live person that caused you to come back after four or five months? Was it, was it, it wasn't, again, grass isn't greener, sure, but what wasn't green about the grass? Was it the the people, the culture, the role? Live person has a fantastic company culture. That is why. So when you're in startup, right, you sometimes feel like uh, <laughs> it's like a crazy town, mm-hmm. um, and it's the work is twenty four seven. And what's interesting to me today, right, where we, where we are, where the world sits, you know, kind of you know, fighting the pandemic and the whole the way we work has changed. But back then, um, it was twenty four seven. I was always on. I never had a break. Um, I didn't have kids yet uh, at that time, so that was great. But um, I think what attracted me to Live Person was the company culture and a large organization where I was like, oh, wow, this would be awesome. I'm going to be able to have a role and be able to focus on just that role. Like there's a, a thousand people in this company and everybody has their place. Right. Where in a startup, you probably are doing seven or eight people's jobs at any given time. And sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating to try to do all of it and you want to do all of it, but you can burn out pretty fast. So that's why I left was for that company culture of everybody has their place. But what I soon found, and this is another piece, Israeli culture. and, and, And I bring this up because I think as the world gets smaller, as we're all connecting on Zoom, cross cultural differences come up in the workplace. And I think this is interesting to think about, or you're working with clients who maybe are not in the United States or in there in the UK, right? So I think what was interesting is after working at Octopus, which is in Tel Aviv with a very Israeli mindset, which again, we're startup startup nation for a reason. Um, in Israel, it's the, your role never really determines your place at the strategy table. Everybody is considered an equal contributor. So you can say to your CEO, or your CEO can say to you, um, without any kind of PC uh, corporate phrasing, your idea sucks, right? <laughs> like that's hard to hear. Um, I think uh, at any point in your career that that your idea is the worst idea that he's ever heard. But what I've learned to to appreciate is that honesty. And I think that when I was back in corporate and that corporate lingo, which I joke now, we are all in Clubhouse and Clubhouse has like this Clubhouse lingo. Yep. Um, but anyway, this corporate lingo, I think it, it kind of caught up my wheels and and it was kind of frustrating um, to have to jump through so many. Like, let's say you have an idea. I felt like in corporate, it was a great idea, but you had your job to do and those your, you had your KPIs and your team and it was very hard to kind of think outside of the box all the time. Right. Um, so I appreciated that about startup and that's what drove me back. And that's why I'm still here today. I mean, I, I love the team. The product is fantastic. I think that's another, like if you're taking notes and you have a highlighter or a pen, like underline this. Yep. But when you're job searching, it's not just about, oh, do I want to be an account executive or do I want to be a marketer? But look, if you're looking in tech, look at the technology. Does that technology speak to you? Um, are you interested in that technology? When I started looking at where I wanted to work, when I was you know, looking for sales jobs, I was always passionate about social media and my nonprofit work as Facebook became bigger and bigger. I was always responsible for the Facebook groups, the internal communication on the social channels, on connecting with people through uh, social networks. So for me, I knew social media was interesting for me, which is how I found myself at Octopost. But I had looked at other technologies like finance technologies or in fintech and, and, and they were interesting, but the technology itself didn't speak to me. So you want to make sure the technology that you're going to be selling or marketing speaks to you. Mm-hmm. And you also want to make sure that the to- the product itself is a good product. So like if you're on an interview and I don't know 
I, for me, anytime I interviewed somewhere, whether it was sales or marketing, I actually had to always give a demo of the product. I don't know if that's standard practice still. Um, but when I would give the demo, I would always try to learn that product as fast as I could and figure out if it was intuitive for someone who had never touched that tool to be able to figure out without having a customer success manager or watching any tutorials. Because if your product is a good product, it should sell itself, so to speak, or market itself, and you just enhance it. That's what I really do feel. But if you don't have a great product, it's going to be really hard. So take a look at, at what company or what product or what service that you're going to be selling or marketing, and do you have a connection to it? And if not, I personally would say maybe maybe that's not the perfect fit. Right, right. So <clears throat> what I heard there that I like that is um, a good tip to consider, uh, not just not just find products or know the product if you're going to interview on the tech side or the product side, but it's it's most commonly overlooked when I talk to those that want a career in social media. They feel they have to look for the social media coordinator role at a company that they often overlook the fact that they can go work for the product because products need social marketers, social media marketers too. Uh, so that's an eye opener. You know, even when when um, uh, marketers go through their steps of identifying what kinds of companies they want to work for, you know, entry level loves the agency. Uh, establish those who have been working agency may want to go client side. So don't overlook the fact that a product could be a great place for you to go, whether it's startup or it's, it's established. But um, I ask, I tell social media, social media marketers all the time, what products do you use day to day? And because you use them day to day, you're, you're um, competent in them. And you probably have an expertise level. Wouldn't it be great to go work for that product? Um, Canva, uh, Octopost, you know, think of the tool, the, the, the tech stack. We are hiring. <laughs> if anyone listening, we are hiring. <laughs> we, we will post that link in the show notes. <laughs> you think of the tech stack around the marketer, those are job opportunities for you um, yeah. or, or, or avenues to investigate. Um, so, la- you know, thinking about the, the career path here in your role, social strategy and enablement <laughs> in Octopost. Now, that sounds like that's a farmer position. Yeah, I would I would definitely define that as a farmer position. But at the same time, B2B social media is always going to keep you on your toes. So I would definitely say there is also some hunter hunter skill sets required and I'll get into that. Um so essentially my role at Octopus, what I do on the day to day is I use our technology, which is awesome. Um and I love to create all of our social content that goes across our our social channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, we just integrated WeChat and actually today we announced our latest, uh, integration with Zing, which is the, it's like the coined as the German LinkedIn. Um, so that's, that's super exciting. And so I post all the content across our social channels and I'd say a majority of my, I'll, I'll give a little bit of, so social media is interesting, right? No matter where you go. Um, I think social media ROI is a big question that many CMOs and CEOs often ponder. (laughs) And uh, there's a joke in the marketing community that when the business isn't doing well, marketing is the first to go. So what we're trying to do at Octopost is help social media marketers prove the value of social and the ROI behind it. And what makes Octopost unique is that, so when you think of a B2B social media marketer, a lot of times companies you know the, the, the evolution of you of you if blah, the evolution of social media if you will um for b2b companies is like this we've always been a few steps behind our b2c counterparts there's some you know thought out there that social media was something only for b2c companies not for b2b but there's a whole art form to B2B social media marketing and the type of content that you create and and its goal, right? My main goal on social media, yes, it's to drive engagements. Yes, it's to um, put a star next to this. Vanity metrics, you can Google it if you are not familiar with the term um, to get more familiar because if you're thinking about being a social media manager, you're going to want to know a lot about vanity metrics, but those are basically engagements, likes, clicks, shares, right? You can create a post for a company in, in a B2B company that gets 100 likes, that's amazing, right? Like if you ask me, I'd be cheering if my post had a hundred likes, 
But I know what my CMO is going to ask me at the end of the day is, Jen, wow, okay, you have 100 likes, golf claps. How many of those likes became customers? And as a social media manager or even a marketer, you're kind of like, ah, uh, well, and you can tell some great story of how maybe one of those likes went through the funnel and became a customer. But there's really, you know, it's really hard to do. So Octopost actually is a piece of technology that is able to track the entire journey on social media that the minute somebody clicks on one of your posts or comments, we're able to integrate that with another highlight this word, marketing automation, right? Um, If you're looking into this field. So marketing automation platforms are in simple form, email marketing. So it basically allows you to send, uh, this is probably any like Marketo or Eloqua. These are companies that do this. They'll kill me for saying this, but it's basically mass mass emailing and segmenting out your customer base through emails, email marketing. Um, but what we do at Octopus, what makes us unique is we integrate all of our social data with those platforms so that a marketer can go through and say, oh, wow, Joe clicked on this piece of content about... Um, about also use Octopus, right? Social media management. So we know he's interested in social media management. So if we send this piece of social media insight into our marketing automation platform, then we're going to be able to send an email to this customer that's personalized. Maybe they get a newsletter every month about social media management, the specific product they were interested in. And we segment out our entire social media um, content by not only our products, but by interests of our customers, by curated content, by news. So we really understand using social media what our social audience is interested in. And then this gets really exciting because sometimes your social followers are a little bit different than let's say your your perfect buyer. And the whole challenge of being a social media manager, I think, is trying to build your audience on social to be that of your perfect buyer so that those 100 likes that you received on your post can eventually turn into 100 customers, if you will. And with Octopus, you're able to track all of that. Uh, am I making sense, Eric? <laughs> Ton, tons of <laughs> <Okay>. sense. So, <laughs> so it's a great insight to the tool itself because you know, for those who don't know Octopus and, and what it does, guys, this is more than Buffer. This is more than Hootsuite, uh, the level of intelligence that the tool can provide. So let's just take a quick break as we wrap up the career path portion. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and let's dive deeper into what you're doing uh, on a day-to-day basis in this position because it sounds like it's going to be pretty interesting given the power of the tool. Uh, So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey guys, just a couple quick updates from the Marketing Help. We've actually uh, been working on this new free membership experience um, for you marketers. Now, all you need to do, to do is go to the marketinghelp.co forward slash subscribe. So when you get there, you set up your free account. And in the free account, we've curated just all the necessary tools, resources that we believe you need to get started. Uh, plus, we've introduced a new marketers community experience that allows you to further engage with others that are maybe in the same journey that you are. But you get access to tons of free resources, uh, a more vibrant, active community that you can start exploring ASAP. And with the free membership, um, you're going to be able to access some of these marketing career and job search guidebooks, interviewing templates. Uh, We just released a couple of helpful walkthrough videos where we walk you through what you need to be creating for your marketer's resume and your marketer's LinkedIn profile, because there's a difference. And we give you the tips that you need to embrace so that your profiles and your resume will stand out from all those other candidates that are interviewing for the same job that you are. So in addition to all that stuff, you get access to our Career Insights newsletter, and you'll get immediate access and notification whenever we publish a future episode of the Marketing Careers podcast. So again, all you need to do, go free membership, set it up today at themarketinghelp.co forward slash subscribe. Now let's get uh, back to the episode. All right, and we're back with Jen Gutman, and we're talking more about Octopost, but specifically a day in the life in her role. Uh, in social strategy. So Jen, tell us, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five, <laughs> seven to seven, six to six, whatever hours you're working, you know, what what is on your to-do list? What's on your calendar? Uh, how are you occupying your time in your role, uh, knowing the power of this tool that you just described? Uh, what, what, what can we expect? What are you doing? Sure. So another curveball here in Tel Aviv, we actually work Sunday through Thursday. So that always adds a, a, um, a piece of complexity. <laughs> 
<laughs> and why Octopost is so great because it has an entire calendar that you can schedule out as if you were actually posting at that time sitting in front of your computer. Um, nice. <laughs> so uh, working Sunday through Thursday. Um, my day-to-day is unique. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I think the, the way in which the world works, we all know, has changed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, working from home um, has been definitely a learning experience for many of us. Um, I'm very proud to share that I have a 22-month-old son. Um, he's definitely keeping things exciting here at home when I'm on Zoom calls. Um, but with that, I think my day-to-day one of the reasons I do love startup and working at Octopost is it's flexible. And I'm hoping for people listening that they're able to find that flexibility. I think the nine to five is dead. Um, just to give an example, right? Like um, I've taken calls at like 1 a.m. with Australia, like, and it's all like, if I know I have a late or early call, depending where in the world it is, um, you know, you adjust your day. And I think at the end of the day, if you're performing and you're hitting your targets, um, and you are delivering results, it shouldn't matter when and how you work. Like I think gone are the days of like clocking in at nine and clocking out at five and, you know, sitting at a desk doing nothing, twiddling your thumbs just to get your hours in, right? I don't think that exists anymore. I may be wrong. Maybe I've been in SaaS <laughs> startup too long. But, um, you know, you, you know what you need to do. And, and when you're a professional, you get it done. So if that means that one day you're working 12, 15 hours, you're going to do that. And maybe the next day you're working three hours, but you're doing what you need to do and driving results and growing, growing where you need to grow. And I think that that is, uh, one of the things I really appreciate, um, with that. So my day to day, so I usually wake up in the morning and I'll have my cup of coffee and I will actually first look through the news and I do the, uh, specifically mashable. Um, s- there's a CMI, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of all content marketing Institute. Institute. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Marketing professors or marketing profs at marketing mm-hmm. profs. And I basically made myself a list and I'm happy to, to share more of my publications that I follow, but I always check what is going on in social media land across the industry before I even start my day. And this is actually something that I started doing um, March 2020 because last year I was so proud of myself that I, you know, January came and I had my entire year completely planned on social media. I mean, it was beautiful. Really, my 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 schedule, my calendar, all the posts going out, the 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 white papers, the ebooks, the 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 messaging. I it was amazing. And then the pandemic hit. Oh my gosh, it was uh, obsolete. Deleted all. Like I cried hitting the. <laughs> the, the cancel campaigns button inside of Octopus and rethought. But so what I do today is I always check the news. I always see what's going on because what I found is my audience on social can connect with Octopus. They can connect with our employees when we are relevant with what is going on in the world. See, we've had some pretty big events last year that took place, right? We have a pandemic that is still going on. Um, I know in the United States that did affect uh, around the world, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, There's been many other movements, many other uh, um, important events taking place on social media that as a social media marketer, I think you really need to stay in tune with. So I'll check the news. From there, I'll look at the week. So now I go week by week. (laughs) Instead of like month by month or quarter by quarter when I'm pushing out my content. And what we do is we I will write all the content and then I'll put that content inside of Octopus and I'll kind of plug everything in where it needs to go, you know, Monday at four, uh, Tuesday at three. And how I know when to post is that inside our platform, we have an engagement by time of day chart that I look at to see when my posts get the most engagements on each channel. And so if I have big news, or Octopus has big news, or there's a big breaking news story that I want people to see. I'll always post when I know most eyes are on our channel. Um, and I do all of that scheduling in the morning because I'm most creative in the morning. <laughs> and I think the most clear in terms of writing. From there, um, I also run our employee advocacy program at Octopus. And I'm going to dive into a little bit about what that is because I think that this is the best part of my job. Employee advocacy is essentially when employees advocate on behalf of where they work. And if your employees are happy 
they are doing this naturally. Just open up your Twitter, or open up your Facebook or your LinkedIn. You're going to see your network saying, I love where I work. I just got promoted um, when we were all in the office, right? Office fun days, uh, free lunch, whatever it may be. People are always advocating when they love when they, where they work. So bring that into kind of the B2B social media space and employee advocacy. We have a tool that we actually built so that every single one of our employees can have access to our content that is conversion ready. And what conversion ready means, right, is that you know that someone who's going to read that piece of content, if they're your perfect buyer, they're most likely going to go ahead and fill out their name on that ebook or on that webinar, um, and you're going to get a lead. And that's really exciting or conversion, right, as we call it in marketing. Um, so we put that content on the, the what we call a board. The employee logs in, and they're able to share that content. And it's it's also the, it's a term you might have heard: uh, social selling, employee advocacy, social selling, social advocacy. These are all terms used interchangeably in the industry. Um, but the hardest part of employee advocacy is managing it. And take that a step further is getting your employees to engage with it because at the end of the day, your sales team and your customer success team and your product team were not hired to be marketers and they were not hired to post on social media. So sometimes there's a disconnect on why they should be posting that content across their channels. So what we know is that when an employee shares a piece of content and not the brand, that actually people are 10 times more likely to first um to credit that source as like take that information more seriously than when the brand posted it they trust right if i as jen post something on linkedin um and and you guys are following me on linkedin and you know me and let's say i say octopus is the greatest tool most likely you're going to say yeah octopus is probably a pretty good tool because jen said so but if octopus says octopus is a great tool most likely people will say okay octopus is a product and they're trying to sell whatever it is they sell so I think that's really interesting. And then look into 2020, and it's all about the people-to-people connection, being authentic, staying relevant. And employee advocacy is really a solution that if you're if you're if you're not running an employee advocacy program, I would definitely think about it, um, and think of how you can start engaging your sales and engaging your customer success teams, your client-facing teams, to be active on social media. Um, I actually interviewed someone on our podcast, um, Derek Shebby. And Dan Swift, these are two two guys that they both are kind of experts in social selling. But what Dan, what Derek Chevy had said is that actually when people post on social media, right, their followers are making micro purchasing decisions in their minds, even if they're not clicking on that content. And I think as a sales professional, what I learned about myself is I like instant gratification, right? If I made a cold call and someone picked up and then booked a demo with me. I was in, you know, cloud nine. When someone closed a deal, it was pretty black or white. They signed a contract. It was instant gratification. I knew I hit my number. I was, you know, president's club, whatever you may call it, right? You were super excited about. But with social media, it doesn't work like that, right? You could share a post and how horrible do you feel when nobody engages with it? Like it's, it's a horrible feeling, but it doesn't mean people aren't seeing it, right? Impressions. It's a, it's impressions are how many people see your post, how far it goes. So even if nobody's clicking on it or engaging with it or commenting on it, but they see it, that's like super top of funnel marketing. But I was going to say, like everyone who's a social media specialist, manager, what have you, that aren't considering every team member as a potential amplifier of the message, I mean, definitely something they should be connecting with you about to learn more because it sounds like you haven't figured out um, definitely using the Octopus tool, but just in theory, this is the approach on how to become a better um, a better team advocating for the business. Yes. It sounds like the social media manager or social media person could be the catalyst to get that thing going because you, know, you work at a company with 200 people, there's 200 salespeople, period. Exactly. Um, and, it's not and selling, selling selling today is literally social selling. Like yeah. you can argue, right? Like if you say, oh, uh, I'm just selling, it's social selling. Think about what you do in a sales process when you go and you look and see who just uh, you know signed up for the webinar. You go as a salesperson, you go into their LinkedIn and you basically stalk them. <laughs> you find like every piece of information you can relevant to, to build that conversation. That's social selling. And so when you in your organization can empower your employees 
to do this. Um, and you can measure it. And this is where Octopus comes in, right? You can measure all of this. So it all gets pumped back into your marketing automation platforms and you get the insights. So if your advocates are bringing in leads or conversions, you're going to be able to see that. Um, but I also would like to challenge anyone listening. So employee advocacy, I would also make the argument, a lot of people in the social media department, this usually this is usually, it's part of the marketing department, but it's usually not the social media manager's job is to run paid. And we have a great case study with Fujitsu that they actually had um, proven that employee advocacy programs actually are cheaper to run mm. than paid ads. And you can still get the same ROI off of it because at the end of the day, so you play, you pay for a platform to help you amplify your message, but your employees are sharing it and you can see the ROI immediately, specifically in Octopus, but you can see the ROI immediately because you can see that salespeople are getting leads and starting conversations, et cetera, et cetera. Where with paid ads, right, we've all been there as marketers. Like I've run some paid campaigns with my team and like I get really disappointed on the sales side when I see the people who are clicking on my ads and I'm thinking, oh, look at all these leads. And then you, you're like, why are these people clicking on my ads? They're not relevant. So employee advocacy can actually help you target much stronger the right buyer okay so when you think about you rolling out the or owning the employee advocacy program internally which internal department has had the most friction adopting what you put in place it's a really good question so it needs to come top down and what i think is interesting there's there's i would say that there's like three I wouldn't necessarily say departments. Mm -hmm. I would say personas that I've categorized and coined myself. (laughs) Here you go. Right. So you have the social enthusiasts. Okay. Mm -hmm. These guys are in the company. These are the guys there. Any department you can have a social enthusiast. They're already active on social media. They, they share all the time, whether they work for your company or not. Um, they know how to use social media. They're savvy. Um, and they're, I joke, they're like the Sally's in front of the Zumba class. I'm an avid Zumba or I love it. Um, and the joke about Sally in the Zumba class is like, Sally is the, the girl in the Zumba class who's behind the Zumba instructor could lead the class, like doing the moves better than everyone else. And that's like Zumba Sally. Those are your, your social enthusiasts are your Zumba Sally's who could probably do your social media management job better than you. Um, but that's not to be feared. That's a really good thing. You want social enthusiasts. Then you have what I call the average Joes. So if you think of these personas on a bell curve, majority of your people in your company will fall in the average Joes. They're happy to help. They're happy to share. They know it's important. If you gamify this program, um, which we do, and I also advise our clients to do, and it's funny, depending on like where you work, the prizes vary, right? So some of my clients um, in the enterprise space, they have these awesome prizes. And I'm like, wow, I want to work where you work. They're giving away like iPhone 12s or, you know, AirPods, and then, you know, other smaller companies and organizations are like, hey, here's $25 for Amazon. Um, also a great gift, but whatever whatever incentivizes your employees to share, go for it. But um, but I go back on my path of my coin personas. So average Joes, they're in it usually for the prize. Um, they like where they work, but they also know that, that this is not their main day job. Maybe they're learning about social with you and they're happy to participate, but they're not super enthusiasts yet. And then you have, so this answers your question, right? It's not via department, but it's the category of what I call social curmudgeons. Um, (laughs) So a curmudgeon is basically, I think I looked it up in like online. It was like a a crusty old person. That was like the official definition. But a social curmudgeon is basically someone in your company who, if you're a marketer and you go to them, hey, would you mind sharing this PR? Would you mind sharing this piece of content? They look at you with a death stare um, or they kind of ask you like, why are you giving me more work? Why do I have to learn a new piece of technology? What's in it for me? This isn't my job. So these people, and I'm sure as I'm saying this, every single person can think about the social curmudgeons in their company. These people are are like my biggest challenge in the program because employee advocacy is for everyone. So it means I have to figure out what's going to motivate a social curmudgeon to share content. And it's not always easy because you want them to participate. You right. also know that, right, everybody, if you think about who you're connected to, you never know. We actually did um, an A-B test where we had some implementation managers 
who were social curmudgeons, um, share some content and they brought in, they brought in leads. They brought in some of the most crazy conversions that you could ever see. And it's because if you think about it, who they're connected to, right. Are the people that they ran technical projects with who they're CTOs today, right. Chief technology officers. So they see them posting about Octopost and this is suddenly interesting for them. Um, so So it's like, how do I get these people to engage? So what I actually do is I send out an employee advocacy survey every quarter and I ask questions. They like to, social curmudgeons apparently like surveys, Um, but they, they will fill out the survey and I ask questions like, what is your favorite social network? What do you like to share on social that's not about Octopost? Mm -hmm. And I've gotten some great answers. I've had, I I learn a lot about people in my company, um, which is awesome because you can build meaningful connections for, right, it's always good to network. Right, this is a great way to network with other people, learn what they do. I found out people love space. I had no idea one of my colleagues was like a fascinated with space. I, we have a lot of gamers in our company. I learned, um, so I learned a lot. And then what I started to do is when I pulled curated content, I actually stuck to um, Dan Swift's from Empire Selling fifty to 25 percent rule. So that's I'm creating content that's fifty percent Octopost in house. Um, organic content. So that's your blog posts, um, anything promotional about Octopost is in that 50%. Then I fill the advocate content with 25% industry related content. So those are all my, when I go in the morning and I find all my news sources from all of the marketing publications, or let's say Twitter's exploding with some trending hashtag that's relevant for us. I'll put that on into the content that they share. And then the third element, which is the last 25%, is personal interest based on the employees. So like articles about space. Um, I actually, there was a Twitter, a Twitter trend report that just came out a few days ago. And it was posted, uh, I, I got it off of, so another ch- channel I follow is Social Media Today. That's a really good one. Write that one down or go follow them on Twitter. Yeah. It's latest updates on social media. They had posted this Twitter trend report and I downloaded it and I read through it. And surprisingly, but yet not surprisingly, the biggest topics on social media right now are like mental health, um, mindfulness, um, keeping your sanity, being passionate about where you work, which all makes sense with what's going on in the world today. So I ended up finding this, um, it's not a GIF, a meme, it's a chart. I don't know, an image, right? It has nothing to do with Octopost. It's an image that says um, you're so much more, defining defining success is so much more than your salary or your role. And there's like two uh, diagrams of success. And then underneath it, it kind of breaks down in a pie chart, other elements, right? Like free time, happiness, and it goes on and defines and I put that on the board, uh, just like, hey, that looks like a cool graphic. Let me put that on up on the board. We had a, um, a, a colleague of mine went viral. She currently has um, 50,000 impressions on that post, mm. um, 25 comments and growing. And every single employee that has shared that piece of content, it's like everybody's really loves this image. So if you want to take a look at it, you can find me on LinkedIn and I've posted it out as well. But what this proved to me is that you need to be in tune as a social media manager and what's going on in the industry, in the space, but also what are people experiencing and speak to them. And that's the great thing about social media marketing, right? I can be Jen, the Octopost marketer, and I can post about a white paper. But if I mix up that content with things that are relevant and speak to my audience and become authentic, if you will, um, you're going to build those meaningful connections, which then you are going to spark conversations, which then hopefully lead that person into a, a funnel. It does get a little right. The, the golden question that I'm constantly asking with the likes when the impressions and we can see people commenting kind of, again, super top of funnel. At what point do you take that and put that into your marketing funnel? Because I think it would be super creepy if someone liked one of my my graphics and I'm like suddenly sending them nurturing emails. So we don't do that, but, um, right. It's like, where's that fine line? Cause I'm posting this for a reason. So 50, 20, 20 50, 25, 25, you know, yes. uh, framework sounds interesting. Definitely. I'll share more about that in the show notes. Uh, so listen, you're on top of a lot of things in your role, <laughs> which sounds interesting. Um, uh, but I'm also curious knowing that, uh, you're, you're, you're doing so much for the business, not just, you know, um, in terms of promoting the right things, uh, sharing the right things across the footprint of your social media. 
What's what's been the biggest mistake you've made in your role? That's a really good question. Um, one leaving. No, excuse me. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, good answer. Good answer. Good I answer. think if <laughs> Daniel's listening. Um, no, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I've made is is okay. So right with with anything that you do, you want to see right year over year growth or month over month growth. You want to see growth. If you're not growing, <laughs> that's that's a problem. Um, but I think one of the mistakes that I've made when I when I transitioned from sales to marketing is not giving myself the time to understand that sometimes things in marketing takes time. And and marketing for me is really about asking a lot of questions and then taking the data and and either telling a story with it or really understanding your data. And the more that I dive into the data, the better my social media strategy gets. So I think in the beginning as like a newbie, one of my mistakes was kind of like, oh, that's nice data. Look at it. It's nice and shiny over there. I'll do this, right? But I'm not really understanding maybe all the data. I'm not really looking at it. Or there's a bunch of data at my disposal and I'm not touching it. It's like such a waste. Um, to be fair, there's a lot of data out there. A lot of different tools give you a lot of different data. And what, there's 24 hours in a day. And, yeah. and we don't have all this time to make sense of all of the data. And I think that is one of my biggest challenges still to this day. Um, but I do... I can say with confidence that over the past year, I've really, every single morning, I will also take a look at our BI dashboard and I'm analyzing, right? My people in my company joke that I'm um, analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis, analysis by paralysis. Like I'm really looking at the data and something actually I'll share with you that I haven't shared with anybody yet, but what I'm trying to prove with our data (laughs) is So one of the biggest, so here we spoke about employee advocacy. We spoke about social media management. What I'm trying to prove is that employee advocacy can have a greater impact on the brand when you post thought leadership content, which I know we didn't even have a chance to talk about on the podcast yet. So put this as a term, thought leadership. It's not just a buzzword. It's important. Um, But I'm trying to prove that if our C-suites or CEO um, and our VPs all are posting thought leadership maybe ghost written by me, maybe not. Um, but if we're posting thought leadership out there, can we impact and prove follower growth on our corporate page? And that's a question I'm trying to see because what a lot of people will say to me about employee advocacy is, wow, it's really nice and we do see the benefit, but what's in it for our corporate brand and social media managers also, right? Our job is to grow our corporate channels, right? I am measured on net new follower growth and impressions. I'm measured on these vanity metrics. And if I'm leading employee advocacy and taking away, if you will, impressions, maybe from the corporate page, but they're growing in advocacy, that's great. But I really want to be able to correlate that advocacy can actually lead to new followers because of thought leadership content that our C-suite is posting out. Hmm. And as you're saying that, I, I can remember doing a couple of tests in previous roles uh, where there may not have been a C-suite that was as interested nor active in social media, but trust me, once they did, and they realized that the the reach that they had was more than they thought, uh, there was some impact. So yeah, you know, there's something I don't know if you're familiar with it, Eric. The social selling index on LinkedIn. You don't even need like an advocacy platform to see this. It's it's completely LinkedIn, um, and I can shoot you over the link uh, sure. after our discussion. It's essentially a link that's provided by LinkedIn that allows you to see your social selling score. And it's based out of 100. And there's four different categories in the score um, that basically tell you how impactful you are on LinkedIn, if you will. Mm. So something that I actually do is I send this to every single one of our employees and I have them tell me the score at the beginning of the quarter and then they post all the advocacy content out and it's, the score rises. Mm-hmm. But I think what's nice about what you said about the C-suite, right, that maybe they're not active on social. It's not their thing. I know I've interviewed a lot of different VPs and CMOs who are like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to say something on social that I might regret or you know, like maybe I don't want it out there. I'm not comfortable with it. Uh, I don't want to get personal whatever it may be, um, I've shared this link with them and then they started to share even a little bit of content and they see their score rise. And I think it's just an indicator for them like, oh, wow, again, it goes back to social selling is so important today. Right. So the social selling index, right? You should not be 
in like a one digit number. And I can say some people in our company are, which is embarrassing. We are a social media management platform, but um, they are. And when they see the score, it makes them want to to increase their score. And LinkedIn does tell you like where you can increase this. And I think it's very helpful. Nice. So even for, right. So for this, for just thinking, right. Who's listening, right. Um, if you take a look at your social selling index and you're looking for a job, if you take a look at your social selling index at any level of your career, it will tell you if you're connecting with the right people. And this gets really nice for whatever it is you're looking to go into because you can create a really nice presence for yourself on LinkedIn. Make sure your LinkedIn profile is updated. Don't underestimate the power of LinkedIn when it comes to hiring, when it comes to even in your market. Like what I tell people I train in employee advocacy, right? Whether you're with a company for one year, six years like myself, um, you know, 10 years, one day, your LinkedIn profile is yours and yours alone. And the more active you are on LinkedIn, the better it is for you, regardless of where you work. The more updated your profile, all the fields are filled out. You have an interesting story. If anyone needs help or wants, you know, feel free to connect with me. I love talking LinkedIn, but don't underestimate it. Don't say, oh, I'll just send my CV or my resume um, and hope for the best. People look on LinkedIn. I don't even know if people use resumes. Eric, you can tell me. (laughs) Do people still use them? (laughs) Uh, the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> whether companies are using them in the right way, that's a whole other story. But <laughs> that's that's probably going to be a whole other podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this question, wrapping up here. In terms sure. of you looking back in your career, what's the most important moment of your career so far in, in your mind? Most important career so, moment so far? The most important career moment. That's a really... <laughs> Wow. Let me ponder that. Let me give a a power pause for a moment and really (laughs) give me a second. That's a, that's a good one. Um, I mean, just hearing your story, I can guess on what (laughs) some of them could be just in terms of, you know, career moments being the things that kind of put you in a position to uh, continue the upward trajectory of your career. And that isn't always a positive thing. Like you were saying earlier, because sometimes we make a mistake. We make a, a decision that we regret uh, but it turns out to be good for us because it pushes us in another direction. Um, yeah. So I would definitely say, uh, you know, um, not to be cheesy on a marketing podcast, but um, I think the best part of my career, the most pivotal part is when I actually came full circle after studying media and communication, it took me about 10 years to get here, but I finally made it to the marketing team and thriving um, and feel great about it. Like, I don't feel like I don't belong. I don't feel like I have no idea what I'm doing and I can contribute a wealth of knowledge to the strategy table and marketing with great ideas because of my unique, unconventional marketing background. So I'd say that's for me. Yeah. That's there, right up there. Like you were saying, it's like when you were you know, finishing university, Facebook wasn't even a thing. And now here you are thriving in a position where Facebook is just a piece because there's many pieces now. Facebook (laughs) is just a piece of the ecosystem that you're now, you know, uh, uh, improving, uh, you know, uh, inspiring, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good uh, observation. Yeah. And it's funny, back to this about my, my college degree, um, one, I don't think it matters what you study. Just be passionate about when you're studying it. But two, my one of my professors on my first day of college, he said to us, welcome to the media and communications uh, major. Nice to have you in my class. Just so you all know, in the next four years, everything you study by the time you graduate will be obsolete. And <laughs> looking back, he was 100% right. Yeah. But I also think that's what makes marketers so resilient and what makes marketing such a powerful career choice is because we are truly able to adapt to any situation thrown our way, be creative and find our way through it. And I think that he was right. And at the time I hadn't, I'm like, well, what does he mean? I'm paying a lot of money for this degree. I don't want this to be obsolete. Um, but he was right. (laughs) And and I think every professor every year after that, it will still be saying the same thing in in any marketing class. So yeah, good point. So where, Jen, can, can can folks connect with you? Because I'm guaranteeing you there's going to be some interest to pick your brain on, on a host sure. of things. Because this has been a great insight into not just your career and, and how you got to where you are, but also obviously the power of Octopost and what it can provide. 
Uh, but did you also have some ideas on employee advocacy that I think a lot of other social media specialist managers, VPs could could probably pick your brain on too. So where can where's the best place for people to connect with you? Sure. So LinkedIn is my absolute favorite network. Um, if you send me a LinkedIn connection, just make sure you put a note that you heard me on this podcast. Um, I am not one to accept um, random connections unless there's a note that has a good reason to connect. I'm, I'm a, a strict, I think because of my degree in counterterrorism, I do know that LinkedIn is like the least secure network. So I just throwing that out there, um, put a little note and I will absolutely connect with you, but make sure you put the note. Um, but LinkedIn's the best. You can also shoot me over an email at jen, J-E-N at octopost.com. And I'm happy always to have a conversation about social. Um, I think social media marketers, we need to stick together. It can be lonely sometimes. And especially when we're all working from home and we need to shoot ideas and we're expected to come to, come to the table with like some, hey, how are you going to raise your followers or how like, right, we, let's all come together, work together and feel free to, to connect there and happy to help any way I can. Great. Jen, I appreciate your time. This has been extremely valuable insights. <laughs> sure. I think everyone's going to love listening to and taking notes on. Um, I, de- I also will say you definitely have to check out Jen's <laughs> LinkedIn post because you you bring it and you, you post such great content because that infographic you're talking Thank about- you. I thought that was a great infographic. It it stopped me in my my scrolling when I saw that because it's so true to what everyone is experiencing. So keep it up. Love to see the content you're posting. Uh, thanks for joining <laughs> us and and uh, stay safe. Thanks, Eric. You too. Okay. All right. Great stuff from Jen Gutman from Octopost. Big thanks to Jen for joining us on this episode. Great to hear those personas she talked about, the internal personas when it comes to employee advocacy for social media. So true. So true. Um, great stuff from Jen. Remember, check the show notes for ways to connect with Jen and some links to some other great marketing career resources. Now, listen, we've got plenty more Career Moments episodes coming your way. We're talking to some great marketers from the tech space, uh, in-house marketing teams, uh, some more agency folks, uh, startup paths. So definitely subscribe where you listen to any podcast, uh, feel free to leave a review. We'd love to hear the feedback so you don't miss any of these great episodes coming up. If you need help with anything in your marketing career, any aspects, don't hesitate to email us at connect at themarketinghelp.co, connect at themarketinghelp.co. And until the next episode, this is your host, Eric Harbison. And remember, today's a great day to start advancing your marketing career.